chickens and things to episode 11 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve and I'm Jarman and we are here to compare, contrast and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? The Muppets and Star Trek. We are continuing our one to one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight we're covering the Muppet Show with special guest star Candace Bergen and Star Trek original series episode The Menagerie Part One. And we got some feedback from our last Ooh. episode on YouTube. We have Peppo Gaming. He says, great video. You deserve more subscribers. And you know what, Peppo? We agree. We agree. And also we have, uh, we want to thank a, an ongoing fan of ours for a Play on Nerds podcast going back a long time, Mike or at Jarek on Twitter. Uh, he keeps mentioning us in his workday podcast list. So he apparently has a job where he can listen to a lot of podcasts and he puts us in those lists every week. And we really appreciate your shout outs, Mike. So thanks for that. Well, thank you, Mike. We're so glad that you transitioned over from a play on nerds to join us here on Muppet Trek. We're very excited about it. And if you guys uh, want to look at playonnerds.com, we do have other podcasts on there, our old podcast of Play on Nerds, the main show. And we just released our first episode of Real Opposition on the main show feed, which you can also follow by searching R-E-E-L Opposition on uh, iTunes or Spotify or YouTube, your favorite places to find podcasts. So That's check that right. out. That's right. I tear apart terrible movies while Jarman defends them. Yes. And we always have a improv uh, audio drama section at the end of each episode for a little treat at the end. So check it out. This flat time we did a uh, Howard the duck. So it's a lot of fun. Go listen. You get to hear us do terrible celebrity impressions. Yeah, isn't that what you want out of life? I think it is. That's why you came here. <laughs> of course. But for this <laughs> week on the Muppet Trek podcast, we're going to do the Muppet show episode with Candace Bergen. And what can you tell us about Candace Bergen? So she started out as a fashion model and appeared on the front cover of Vogue at one point. She's an award-winning photographer, and she pivoted into an acting career from there, acting in dozens of films and even receiving an Oscar nomination in 1979 for the movie uh, Starting Order. Hmm. She's a five-time Emmy Award winner, best known for her 10 seasons on Murphy Brown. Mm -hmm. But what do you guys know her from? Uh, she was the villain in Miss Congeniality uh, and has done dozens of small character arcs in popular shows ranging from Sex in the City, Law and Order, and even House. Um, but in, as far as context to the Muppet Show, uh, she's the daughter of Edgar Bergen, mm -hmm. of Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, uh, who was really one of Jim's idols, uh, him and his mannequin act, his dummy act. Uh, and he even hosted the show season two and made a cameo in the Muppet movie. Oh, gotcha. Not long before he died, actually. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's Candace Bergen. And now let's hop into the episode. Well, it wasn't her mom famous as well. Wasn't she the actress from Casablanca? Or am Maybe? I making that up? I could have sworn uh, that the, the lead actress in Casablanca was her mom. And, Can and Edgar we're going to say yes. <laughs> and also she re uh, they just recently uh, rebooted uh murphy brown but didn't they last did. very long um did not do too well well here's looking at you kid <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what we got uh, for this so week this week on the muppet show uh kermit introduces candace bergen referring to her as well-rounded rounded statler and waldorf cat caller uh, kermit calls them chauvinist pigs miss piggy of course gets offended 
reminding Kermit that he promised that she would uh, be on the show and do a number that week. Piggy threatens that Miss Bergen and her are going to leave unless she gets to open. So Kermit relents and says, great, you get to open the show. We get our first opening number. What now, my love? Piggy is draped over a shea as three colorful backup singers behind her slowly transform into scary monsters with fangs and horns. And she sings a lovely ballad as then and then tries to escape them because they get scary. Yes. Uh, next, we have a moment backstage where we get kind of the running bit where Fozzie is practicing his act, saying that he has a wire for Kermit the Frog. Then he hangs a wire hanger on him. This is actually a close repeat of the ending curtain joke from the Florence Henderson episode. And they were apparently hoping that nobody would remember the Florence Henderson episode. I'd forgotten that that joke. <laughs> I saw it and went, wait, where is that from? Oh, it's from an episode we just watched. <laughs> Uh, we got our first musical number, put another log on the fire. Uh, we get a chauvinist bumpkin uh, who is ordering Candace Bergen around the house, telling her to fix his shoes and do the dishes and put another log on the fire. She gets fed up donning a feminist T-shirt and a shotgun, putting an end to the situation. Yes. Backstage again, Fozzie continues his joke. He says he has a letter for Kermit and the letter is the letter R. <laughs> Uh, we find ourselves at the dance. We get the typical silly fair. The best joke this week being uh, two pigs, the male saying to the female, you remind me of Rogers. You mean Ginger Rogers? No, Roy Rogers. <laughs> Timely joke. <laughs> uh, following this is the weekly panel discussion. Does travel broaden the mind? Candace Bergen plays an author of a book called Europe on $50 a day. The jokes range from the, the only thing getting broader is Miss Piggy. Uh, a rug joke in reference to Sam the Eagle being a bald eagle and some very dated jokes about Marcello Mastriani <laughs> being mistaken for the name of a soup. He was apparently a famous foreign film star. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. either. <laughs> uh, after this, we get a great musical number from Ralph the dog. It's it's not where you start. He sings a song normally and then is sort of interrupted at the end by scooters saying that he didn't take long enough. So he needs to do the song again. But this time he only has 20 seconds is a minute. And so he. He does it even faster. And then Scooter comes out and says, well, actually, it's my uncle's favorite song. So he wants to hear it again. But you only have like 10 seconds. Uh, so Ralph races through the song at a fever pitch. It's a great number that really builds. And it's a lot of fun. Very cute. Uh, afterward, at the talk spot, Candace is taking photos of Kermit. Uh, he's striking poses. This is interrupted by Sweetums, who likes Candace's camera. She says it's a great camera. So he eats it, claiming that he has tasted better cameras. We get some time in the kitchen with the Swedish chef making a spicy pepper sauce. He gives it a taste and smokes floats from his ears. He adds even more pepper, which causes him to literally blow his top steam escaping as his hat shoots into the air. Uh, the next musical number. Look at that face. Uh, we get a Candace playing a painting subject for a painting class while a French art instructor describes her as he talks about her eyes, her nose, her smile. She tweaks each as it comes up, crossing her eyes, wiggling her nose, eating grapes that she's supposed to be posing with. They kind of pan around the room and the students are all Muppets painting her, but as themselves. In the end, uh, Animal uh, is being instructed to paint the subject, wherein he goes up and paints Candace Bergen blue. <laughs> Backstage, once more, Fozzie tries out another joke, saying he has a note for Kermit, uh, providing Kermit with a trio of frogs that sing a harmony of notes for Kermit. Uh, quick stop takes us over to Jarman's favorite veterinarian hospital. Yeah. Uh, the patient is in for a stomach ache, then a sore throat. The doctor says he has a frog in his throat, 
pulling Kermit out of the monster's mouth, who then threatens to cancel the sketch. He's got a case of ingrown TV show host. <laughs> uh, finally, we get a final check with Fozzie's running gag where he who he has flowers for Kermit dumping a bag of baking flour on Kermit's head. Piggy sees this and actually in Kermit's defense chops the crap out of Fozzie. <laughs> We then get the closing number friends. It starts with Gonzo singing alone, sort of somber. And then Candace comes out and joins him slowly more and more Muppets join till a whole group of friends is singing together. It's really nice. At the final curtain, Kermit finally gets his revenge on Fozzie. As Fozzie closes out the show, Kermit arrives with a pie looking for Fozzie. Uh, he creams him in the face and Candace gets caught in the crossfire. And that's this episode of the Muppet show. Absolutely. And Statler and Waldorf at the very end said, I think I should see a doctor. Why is that? I think I'm starting to like the show. <laughs> That's cute. Uh, so let's talk about the music from this episode. Mm -hmm. So what now my love was actually a French hit with music from a guy named uh, Joubert Bicaud and lyrics by Pierre Delanoe. I tried. <laughs> Great uh, job. The English lyrics were provided by an American named Carl Signum. Uh, fun fact, he was born in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, where my wife and I used to live. Oh, nice. Uh, his most widely remembered hit was writing the lyrics uh, of, of the song, Where Do I Begin?, which was the theme song from Love Story, ah. which in an, the early episode by Lena Horne is covered by Rolf and Zoot, who performed the instrumental version. I remember that. And he's the guy who wrote the actual lyrics to the song once it was brought, brought from instrumental. Put another log in the fire. This was crazy. Written by Shel Silverstein. Oh, gosh. Best known for his beloved children's stories and poetry, including The Giving Tree and Where the Sidewalk Ends, he briefly studied music at the Chicago College of Performing Arts, and he wrote songs for and with hit musicians, the most famous of which is that he wrote A Boy Named Sue, made famous by Johnny Cash. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, it's Not Where You Start is actually from a 1970s amus uh, American musical called Seesaw, which is about a lawyer going to New York and having a fair. Uh, an affair. The lyrics for the song were provided by a woman named Dorothy Field. She wrote lyrics for some huge hits, including On the Sunny Side of the Street and The Way You Look Tonight. And also, she was one of the writers for the book slash script of Annie Get Your Gun. Well, look at that. Yeah. Uh, look at that face, also from a musical called The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd. <laughs> it was a kind of a funny title. Uh, written by Leslie Bracuse and Anthony Newley, uh, both received and both are known for receiving an Academy Award nomination for the film score and songs in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh -huh. So they wrote the Candyman, you know, uh, Liz Leslie Bracuse also found additional success uh, winning the Academy Award uh, for Talk with the Animals from the 1967 Dr. Doolittle. Gotcha. If I could walk with the animals, talk, talk with, with the, the animals. animals. <laughs> yeah, he wrote that. Uh, and then Friends was a huge hit in 1973 for Bette Midler and became her theme song for 25 or 30 years. Wow. It was written by these guys, Linhart and Klingman. Klingman has this crazy resume. He grew up in Long Island. When he was 16 years old, he joined a group called Jimmy James and the Blue Flames, which was fronted by a young Jimi Hendrix. Oh, wow. He was then expelled from high school in 1966 when he performed in a jug band with comedy man Andy Kaufman huh. at a controversial civil rights concert. What in the world? Got them both kicked out of, of high school. He's been in the background of all sorts of music ever since, and you don't know who he is. He became a producer and eventually took over for Barry Manilow as Bette Midler's music director. 
so random. Holy crap. Yeah, this guy's looking at me. He has been everywhere. He's touched every piece of music everywhere. It's insane. You never heard his name. <laughs> never once. <laughs> um, so, Jarman, wh- what did you think of this episode of The Muppet Show? Overall, I thought it was really fun. It went by really fast. There wasn't like uh, any parts that dragged for me. Um, it started like I was like, oh, no, it's going to be a really slow Gonzo song with no point. But then it became a really cute song about having friends. And um, it really pulled in Candace Bergen for that song to her only time she sang. And she's, you know, you could tell she wasn't a singer, but she did only a few lines of the song. They made the Muppets join her so they could empower her. And right. make sure she wasn't left out and alone singing badly, um, but it went really well. I, I could tell she wasn't one of our most comfortable hosts with the Muppets. It seemed like yeah, agree with that. she felt a little uncomfortable at times, kind of making eyes and like, what am I doing here? Kind of looks, you know, <laughs> but but overall, yeah. it's like she's a good actress and she's really funny. And so that worked well with the Muppet dynamic. Um at several points they brought the, up the fact that she's a feminist and then they so yeah. they, they they said that was a good thing but then at the same time they'd make fun of it with like constantly putting emphasis on the ms the the ms bergen yeah ms bergen and, and yeah. miss piggy yeah and so that kind of thing um so it was good and bad in that in that regard um i like my favorite one was probably the um the I think it was the Shell Silverstein one. You said the, the the crazy bumpkin guy ordering her around. Yeah, put another log on the fire. And just watching her reactions as she slowly gets more and more pissed off and like screw this and just like throws everything and wrecks the house and just uh, changes clothes. It was that was really fun. Yeah, I'll say that's like the most muppety of the numbers she was in. Very muppety. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I enjoyed the talk segment with uh, Kermit because um, the talk spot, because it was something different. She it starts off. She's taking pictures of him. She's not sitting in the exact same place. It's not about beating him up for once. It's not about uh, Miss Piggy coming in for once. It's just like her taking pictures and get candid, candid for Candace. I like that line. That was really cute. Um, I feel like this, this episode featured like the least sexual assault. Thus yeah, far. Probably they couldn't get away with that crap with Candace Bergen being there. Yeah, but like as far as Miss Piggy smothering Kermit and attacking other female guests and jealousy and stuff like that, this is, I feel like the one of the first times we didn't see a prime example of that. Yeah, and instead, like Miss Piggy defended Kermit when he was, you know, being harassed by Fozzie, and that was kind of nice. That was also really refreshing. Yeah, it was a different look for Miss Piggy. <laughs> so, and there's no Muppet news break this time, which I was surprised. It's been like every episode so far. Yeah, and even veterinarians' hospitals seem short. Yeah, they kind of packed was a, a lot. Pretty quick turnaround packed a lot into one episode and then even like the Rolf number I thought would be just him singing a song but then they they threw in a great little Muppet catch there we had to sing it three times in a row and faster each time so yeah that that's probably for me probably the best sketch of the show yeah are they really just like they just did new stuff and tried to get out of their boxes they've been putting themselves in all the season so far so that's why I really enjoyed it kind of went by really fast and she I know I just really loved her faces she made during the the posing scene that was really cute um, and I know we're doing this out of, we'll say, production order, though this is the order it released in the UK. Um, but it felt after getting finally a taste of like the backstage plot mm-hmm. and it driving and interacting with the the A plot, it felt really, really lame to go back to just like, what's Fozzie's gag this week? <laughs> That's his running gag. Yeah. Um, it just felt bad after we've had a couple good examples of it being done well. So I hope we get away from that. Well, I was kind of okay with it after last week's with uh, Harvey Corman, where this, they just didn't make any sense. The backstage plots, yeah. were like, they weren't funny. They were strange, like the the marching chickens and the, the dog biting him. Whereas this one, at least there was a consistent gag throughout the show that. Yeah, you could expect it. Right. And so even though it didn't involve the A plot per se, it still like had its own B plot that was consistent, if that makes sense. I'm probably no, reading yeah. way too much into this. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, overall um, good. 
Yeah, overall good, not top of the heap. Like for me, Peter Ustinov is still oh, the yeah. front runner. He's still king by, of the castle. By a long shot. But this was no Florence Henderson. <laughs> we could keep saying that, yes. I think that's how we're probably going to judge this from now on. Is something is either going to take the place of the worst episode and or take the place of the best episode. It's the Houston off Henderson scale. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Everyone's familiar with that. Of course. Of course. We're going to develop it. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, German, tell us about this week's original series episode. So this is kind of unique for the whole show because there are no other two part episodes in all the original series. But but this one. So this is the Menagerie part one. Um, and so I have to give a little backstory of this uh, before I get started on what happens in this episode, because originally uh, Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, wanted to make a feature film somehow out of the footage he had from the original unaired pilot because no one had seen it before. Um, but he would need to create some kind of overarching story to make it into a full length feature film. So he was going to do the, the crash landing of the people on the planet back in, uh, when Vina landed there before uh, Pike even gets there. Uh, but it just kind of didn't pan out. So he was constantly looking for a way to bring this back and to use it. And it ended up that they didn't have enough um, episodes written for the season. So he came up with this idea to save money and to really quickly produce uh, two episodes to fill out the docket for the season. So that's kind of how this happened. Um, hmm, okay. And we'll get into why the original Captain Pike didn't come back for his other scenes. But that's for trivia later on. So we start off with... Uh, uh, the Enterprise heading to Starbase 11 after apparently receiving a call there by Captain Pike, who Spock used to serve under, as we saw in the unaired pilot episode. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they arrive at the Starbase and Commodore Mendez says that Pike could not have sent the message because he has been horribly injured in an accident and is now confined, confined to a special wheelchair and can only communicate through yes or no beeps with a flashing light that is operated by his brainwaves. Uh, so Spock eventually gets time alone with Pike and he tells him that he is, he has to go through with this mysterious plan, even though it will be mutiny and Pike continuously beeps his light twice saying no over and over again. Um, and Mendez and Kirk find out that no distress signal or call was ever made to the enterprise. So someone either made it up or Spock made it up, but Kirk refuses to believe that Spock would lie or that he even can lie because he's half Vulcan. Uh, meanwhile, Spock sends fake messages to the Enterprise from the Starbase to fool them into beaming him and Pike and Bones on board and taking off to an unknown destination that he says is top secret. So everything's very strange. Like, what the hell is Spock doing here? Uh, back in the Starbase, Mendez informs Kirk of a secret file that talks about how Pike and Spock were the ones that were went to planet Talos 4 a long time ago, the one we see in the inner pilot, and that afterwards the planet was quarantined and anyone visiting there would be punished by death. And it's apparently the last thing that is punishable by death in all of the Federation. So that's kind of a big deal. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, back on the ship, Spock places Pike under McCoy's care, but won't tell Bones anything about what's going on, despite many protests by the doctor. Uh, Kirk and Mendez chase after the unanswering Enterprise in a shuttlecraft, which is the first time we see a shuttlecraft in, in the original series. And they soon run out of fuel as they are chasing the Enterprise down. But Spock is conflicted. He can't just leave them out there to die in space, even though he's on this strange, mysterious mission. So he tractor beams their shuttle uh, shuttlecraft to the Enterprise, and he orders Bones to take him into custody for mutiny and to beam the Commodore and Captain on board. Everyone's very confused. Like, what is going on here? So the crew finds out that the Enterprise computer is locked on to go to Talos 4. It cannot be interfered with without Spock changing it. Uh, so Mendez convenes a hearing for Spock on the Enterprise, which Spock says he wants to make into an immediate court-martial hearing. But Mendez says and that they can't do that because they would need three commanding officers to convene that type of hearing, to which Spock says they have three, Kirk, Mendez, and the wheelchair-bound Pike. 
Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And he's like, but he's not still active duty. And Mendez is like, well, we didn't want to take him off active duty just to be we nice We didn't to have him. the heart to retire. We didn't have the heart. <laughs> <laughs> so the court martial hearing begins and Spock requests to play footage on the view screen, which appears to be footage of his and Pike's previous journey to Talos 4, or to us, the unaired pilot. And they're all very confused how we'd have this beautiful footage of their mission because they don't have those kind of recordings of missions. And he says, just, just, just watch it. Uh, so Pock, Pock, Spock plays the episode of The Cage up to the point where Pike is abducted by the Telosians. So we kind of watch through the beginning of the episode of The Cage um, all the way until he's abducted and they're trying to get into the cave to get him back. And the final scene, we cut back to the Enterprise in current day and the Enterprise is getting a message from Starfleet Command, which tells them that these scenes they're watching in the view screen are transmissions being directly sent from Talos 4. Dun, dun, dun. And Mendez is put in charge of the ship because now Kirk is also under court-martial because he's leading the ship to this forbidden planet. Um, and even though he's not, it's not his fault, he's still in command of the ship, so he has to bear responsibility. Right. Uh, but Spock begs Kirk to let the panel watch the rest of the footage. And that's how the episode ends for part one. So we have a little bit of trivia here, not much. Uh, Jeffrey Hunter, who played uh, Captain Pike in the the Unair pilot, uh, Apparently, the the official story is that he was unavailable and unaffordable to be added into this episode as the the Pike now, who's disfigured and everything. But in a lot of books that are written about this time period, apparently Jeffrey Hunter's wife was so insufferable and terrible, and she always had huge demands for her husband. Like, he get the specialist trailer, he gets better uh, prices on everything. So Roddenberry just didn't want to work with her again or have to deal with her, so he just didn't even ask Hunter to come back, even for the second pilot. He didn't want him to come back for that either. Wow. That's why we have Kirk because his wife was so terrible. Um, this is, the, I said, the first episode featuring a subtle craft, which is pretty cool. And it's also the final appearance of the tan uh, phaser communicator belts that we don't see after this episode. So they were kind of ugly. Huh. anyways. So not a lot of trivia this time. around. I've got I've got a piece of trivia. Go for it. Because I thought this was so interesting. Uh, so the guy who plays Commodore Jose Mendez mm-hmm. in this two parter showed up later in Star Trek in another two-parter. In 91, he was in a two-parter episode of The Next Generation. Yes. Playing a Romulan senator or something called Senator Pardek, Unification 1 and 2. And the plot of these is that Spock goes, for some reason is there, goes crazy and goes rogue and heads out to the middle of nowhere on his own and has to be chased down by Picard and Data. Yes, the plot of that actually is just off the top of my head because I love Star Trek. Was that uh, Spock was actually on a secret mission to try to unify uh, Romulus and um, Vulcan once again. Um, so he was pretending to be, he was working with like rebels on Romulus who wanted to reunify with the Vulcans and he was on a secret mission. So they didn't know that till later on in the episode. But yeah, that's yeah, great. Malachi Throne was in both episodes. It's a great episode. <laughs> where episodes. both episodes where Spock goes rogue in two parters. Yeah. <laughs> in <true>. two parters. <laughs> It's a good factoid. That's right. So what'd you think of this episode, Steve? Uh, so the things I liked, um, I, I seeing Spock go completely against what you know of him is the perfect frame to set up this crazy episode. Mm -hmm. Um, and before I kind of didn't, I can't remember. I think that we watched the one where he has to go battle someone for a play on nerds. Oh, we for like his wife or something. Right. When he, has, what uh, he has the mating call and he has to go have a wife. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I said to him, I said to you, like, it's so weird that Spock and all I know about 
Vulcans that they're super logical is suddenly like looped into this mating combat thing. A mock time. But now I'm realizing that it's really the hook for these episodes when Spock's being weird. <laughs> right. Like what's going on? And, and I and I didn't get that without more context, but now I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was some fun seeing that Spock is like truly smarter than everyone around him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like he is able to to engineer this Ocean's Eleven style heist <laughs> by himself. <laughs> That's true. To like steal a starship and steal Commander Pike, hack the Enterprise. Um, <laughs> Um, and it was really nice to see uh, Kirk's defensive Spock in disbelief right up to the moment where facts confirmed that Spock had betrayed him. Right. But it was just fun to see just how adamant Kirk got about it. Oh, and I will say just a quick note that for those of you who've watched uh, Star Trek uh, Discovery, they go back and you see parts of this episode again with Captain Pike and Spock and you see the the connection as captain and, and first officer at, at um that Spock and Pike had. And so it makes this episode oh. even better because you realize that's why he's doing something crazy for Captain Pike because they had a close bond over 11 years on a ship together. So it's pretty cool. Uh, so things I maybe disliked a little bit. Mm-hmm. I thought the moment of Pike disappearing from his room just could have been better explained maybe <laughs> yeah so she like turns away and then turns back and like he's gone captain and the, everybody in the audience had to go what do you mean he's guys in a friggin are you kidding me well i'm guessing How he was beamed he aboard the, the enterprise well and that's what she says like that, that's what they, they they tell you but i think it could have been easily achieved with like her watching him and then him beaming somewhere right he's been beamed out captain where and then it could have proceeded better as opposed to he disappeared. Right. He disappeared. I was like, really? The the like guy who can just only beep three things <laughs> disappeared. <laughs> so that, that was hard for me. Um, and the just more weird militaristic stuff. Right. That feels out of place in the Star Trek. I know the court martial and a lot of maritime law kind of stuff. Yeah. And like that still carries on a future Star Trek. Okay, it just felt really strange. It's like they and kept all the, the laws. reminder of like they didn't know what this was yet. Yeah, they kept all the laws uh, for maritime law stuff, but then they got rid of a lot of militaristic stuff later on. That's for sure. Um, and then it's hard for me because we watched we watched the pilot. Like that's how we started this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to imagine what someone who has been watching the show would feel about this having not seen any of this before. I'm so glad you brought that up because for years, uh, my mom doesn't really watch a lot of Star Trek or anything like that, but she had a passing interest growing up when it was very popular in the 70s and you know, it came on TV as reruns. That's when it got its main audience. And, in syndication, yeah. Yeah, and she even got to see Gene Roddenberry talk at University of Central Florida where she went to school while she was a college student there. Um, mm. And because he was doing a big college circuit, making lots of money doing that. <laughs> um but she said this was her favorite episode and she had never oh. seen the, the pilot before. She just loved this, the through story of this guy being brought to this planet and we'll find out why next episode. But um, yeah, I was like, uh, so now that I've seen all of Star Trek, I was kind of bewildered by the fact my mom loves these episodes so much, but she just really likes them. So you're, you're right. It's, you wouldn't think it would work out of context without seeing the pilot, but for some reason it does. Yeah. And then this was also like a nice reminder of like, man, they made the right choice. <laughs> oh, the captain. 
the captain, the rest of the crew, other than Spock, was just like they might as well just be that that dummy from the last episode. <laughs> yes. Tranya. Ah, uh, it Tranya. might as well be that purple headed dummy because they don't move or look right. Right. It's very stunning. Um, the only the only part that I think should have come over, and I think we talked about this before, was the 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 second in command, the the woman with the brown hair. Yeah, her only name is number one. Yeah, number one. She was the best part and is and is one of those things where I'm surprised she didn't make it to the main show. Absolutely. And the good thing is she comes back in Star Trek Discovery as played by Re- Rebecca Romaine. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Hmm, but, all right. But I agree. She she was a really good part of the pilot and she just wasn't moved on. She was the only character she was more of a character than Spock was in the original pilot. Yeah, she was kind of the Spock. She was more of the calculating one, and Spock was kind of emotional in the pilot. So, um, so yeah. I purposely didn't watch the next episode. So I'm I'm genuinely interested to see what they're gonna do, despite the fact that I know the rest of the pilot. Right, because you still know how they're gonna frame it in this context. Yeah, right. So in that case, I guess I'm impressed that I'm like, all right, let's see what they do here. And it's genuinely exciting for me to like watch these with you. We have you and you haven't seen them before, so it's pretty cool. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean we're gonna get to one or two I've seen, but love you know, far and wide no. Yeah, and I've seen any of these Muppet shows, so that's great. Excellent. Well, Jarman, I've got some great Trek connections this week. Ooh, I'm excited. All right, so Candace Bergen starred in Boston Legal, which also starred William Shatner. That's true. <laughs> uh, Kate Mulgrew, Captain Janeway from Voyager, and Candace Bergen. Both had memoir memoirs released and that hit the shelves a week apart from each other. Nice. And then also Kate Mulgrew earlier in her career appeared on an episode of the Murphy Brown of Murphy Brown as um, a woman hired to replace Murphy. When she went out on maternity leave, Murphy through interacting with her discovers that she like nearly has a drinking problem and that it, she wasn't the right person for the job. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah, Kate Mulgrew did a one episode stint on Murphy Brown. That's great. Uh, and that's what I could find. It was really a shallow pull this week. Well, no, those are pretty direct connections, though. Those aren't like reaching connections. That's great. That's true. They're solid. Uh, yeah, that's right. So, Jarman, let's talk about some similarities. <laughs> yes. So one I have between these two episodes is mm-hmm. Fozzie keeps claiming to have communications for Kermit, but they are not what they <laughs> appear to be. Just like that Spock keeps making fake communications to and from the Enterprise. That, I never even thought about that, but that is perfect. Uh, Candace Bergen battles chauvinist attitudes, and in Starfleet, women are apparently all still secretaries. <laughs> or yeoman, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's terrible. All right, uh, the song where Candace Bergen is posing for painters, she can only communicate with facial gestures, just like how Pike can only communicate with beeps. <laughs> Boop. Uh, uh, in throw another log on the fire features Candace rebelling against orders just like Spock oh there you go very true there you go go. (laughs) some great ones this week oh wait do you hear that what is that wait I've got one more oh Oh, we solved the problem don't worry we fixed it it's good what's wrong Uh, uh, Spock Spock acts outside of how he normally does by behaving illogically (laughs) Just like Candace subverts ex- expectations by making faces and wriggling her nose while being an art model. <laughs> These are so ridiculous. I love it. <laughs> These reaching connections. They, they might as well be the same show. I mean, it's so identical. <laughs> it's like they copied each other <laughs> frame by frame. 
Uh, oh, there. Oh, whoa. That's the Transporter malfunction. So now the time of the show where we transport one character or actor from one episode to the other episode and replace that person. So uh, what do you got for us this week? Uh, I have a severely burned Swedish chef <laughs> from the pepper sauce explosion replacing <laughs> Captain Pike in that chair. That's fantastic. <laughs> Instead of boops, it's bork. Bork, 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 bork. <laughs> So I have uh, Captain Pike is going to replace Statler and Waldorf, both of them. It's just me, him, alone on the balcony. And Fozzie will tell a joke and it'll cut to him and he just beeps yes or no. <laughs> 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 what do you mean you didn't like my joke? Burp, burp. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I've got the three big brain Telosians uh, become the backup singers for Miss Piggy in that opening number. Oh, that's good. slowly dropping their illusions, showing that they're uh, they're like off putting forms as Miss Piggy flees from them. That'd be like all the more terrifying. Yeah. Right. Like it. <laughs> and for some reason, I have Fozzie Bear as Commodore Mendez <laughs> because... <laughs> He'll pretend to be all mad and serious at times, but he can't help but crack a terrible joke every now and then to lighten the mood, you know, during the, I can the see hearings, that. you know, he'd, he'd be great. I can see Mendes. We'll have those like wide round faces. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the end of episode 11 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for episode 12 of the Muppet show with special guest Ben Vereen an original series episode. You guessed it. The Menagerie part two. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us, live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 